as you're turning to Colossians chapter 2. Let me welcome the campuses that are joining with us today, and we're believing today for the power and the presence of God to minister to you uh, as you join with us here today and as we go into the Word of the Lord together. I began last week talking to us on the subject of life with purpose. We're going to continue that today as we continue to look in the Word of the Lord. Look, look in Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 6. It says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Apostle Paul writing here to the church at Colossae said, look, I, I want you to understand just because you have received Jesus Christ, that's not enough. You've got to continue to walk with him, to be strengthened by him, to be rooted in him and built up in him and, and, and to continue to walk this thing out called Christianity. And, and so we begin last week talking about life with purpose. Now, now here's what I want to share with you this morning is, is that in each and every one of our lives, we have been given a purpose. How many of you know that something that is created that lasts for a long time has to have a purpose, right? Now, if, if I were to take this morning, if you had never seen one of these this morning, how many of you have never seen one of these? So it looks like everybody's seen one. But let's say you had never seen a hammer before, or as the Three Stooges called it, an anaconda panna. Now, that goes back a day or two, doesn't it? But you had never seen a hammer, and I handed you a hammer and, and said, what do you want to do with this? And somebody would say, I, I know somebody. <laughs> that this would be the very thing that I would like to use upside their head. Now, you know what? A hammer could be a weapon. And I guess if you study much history, it has been a weapon a few times. Somebody else might look at it and say, well, the way it's built, you know, you could take it, you could stick it under a door, and it could keep the door from opening. So it would be a really great doorstop. And I guess you could use it as a doorstop. Somebody else might say, you know what, I, I've been doing some gardening, and that thing looks like it would be a really great tool to garden. I, I, I could dig down into the dirt uh, with, with the, this, this end of it, and then this end must be to hammer the seed in. Now, all of those uses could be done with this hammer, but how many of you know that's not what a hammer was created for? A hammer was created so you could hit your thumb and say words that aren't Sunday school words. I, no, you, you know that there's a purpose for that instrument, and so by your very existence, there's a purpose for your life. Rick Warren wrote the book, purpose-driven life, and it became an international bestseller because people were looking for purpose. They, they decided that it wasn't enough, not just Americans, but literally across the world. They, they decided it wasn't enough uh, ju just to have a job and just to have a house and just to have a car or whatever it was, that there really had to be a purpose with life. And so last week we began to talk about that if you really were going to have a life with purpose, that first of all, you had to have life with God. And, and we, we talked about how that you had to walk this thing out with God. But today, we're going to talk about how that you live life with others. Now, now, how many of you know that it would have been really, really great if the day that you got saved, Jesus would have took you home? Because this living this life with others 
sometimes gets a little intense, doesn't it? I mean, you, you know that it does. You go to church with people that sometimes uh, you just look across at them and go, just what is up with you? What is your number one problem? And yet the Apostle Paul addresses this. In fact, go, go into the third chapter. We ended in the 12th verse last week in chapter 12. So we're just going to pick up uh, in verse 13 today. And, I, and I'm going to share with you three things this morning that, that I want you to get. I'm going to talk about uh, the three words. And so if you're taking notes, just write those words down. The first word is forgive. The second word is love. And the third word is rule. Forgive, love, and rule is what we're going to be talking about this morning. Look in the 13th verse. I mean, the Apostle Paul, after telling us how to live with Jesus, how to live with God, uh, and, and how to have life with purpose through, through God, verse 13, he just starts and he ended verse 12 telling us to clothe ourselves with, with all of these things. And then he just jumps into verse 13 and he, he says, Oh yeah, by the way, after you have clothed yourselves with all this stuff, he said, bear with each other. What a way to start a sentence. Bear with each other. What do you mean, Apostle Paul? He said, well, let me explain it. And forgive, uh-oh, whatever grievances you may have against one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, I want to tell you something. When you are living life with others, one of the things that you have to have in great working order in your life is forgiveness. If you don't learn how to live a life of forgiveness, you are going to be a person who is, becomes very bitter. Because I want to promise you, in this life, Jesus said, you shall have tribulation. And I found out the way that most tribulation comes is through somebody else. He goes on to say, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. I like the latter part of that verse. All right? And, and so we, we have these encounters. Let me ask you a question. How many of you this morning have ever had to forgive somebody? Today. Earlier this morning, I, I get here early and I was needing to take some medication this morning and I, I needed some food. And so, so early this morning, I'm talking about early, uh, I, I have decided that, that people who go to drive throughs early either are still asleep or something and so I went to one of the fast food restaurants here I won't say which one McDonald's and uh, <laughs> and and this new McDonald's out here that they have designed I don't know who designed it but I wished I could have helped them because when you go through the drive-thru it is so narrow that when you go one way or the other you block everybody and, and I got behind two people this morning And I'm wanting to get back to church. It's already been here. And I need to get back and, and, and do some stuff. And, and, and I get behind them. And I don't know what they were doing. But they were not blessing me. <laughs> and I finally got to the point. And you, again, if you've been around me, you know I don't have a, you know, patience is not a virtue of mine. And, and, and. And that you could go this way or you could go this way. And one of them went this way and one of them went this way. And I'm here. And I flashed my lights because it was still, I could do that. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. And, and I, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, i got to go preach. <laughs> and I'm going to be preaching about forgiveness. 
Lord, this is not funny. Because, see, I think he was just setting me up this morning to see what I would do, how I would react. And I don't know if I passed. Because I finally just went up over the curb and left because I couldn't get by him. But I forgive him. See, the, the, the whole process of forgiveness is something that, that really is necessary in our life. And I, and I kind of want to unpack this for just a minute with you, how, how that you go through forgiveness. How many of you remember the story of Joseph in Scripture? You, you remember the story of Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers? Uh, he winds up in prison. Uh, and finally, through the whole process, he winds up as, as the co-regent with Pharaoh. And he, he's serving there in Pharaoh's kingdom. And all of a sudden, his brothers come, right? And his brothers show up. And uh, they don't know who he is, and he knows who they are. And, and in most of our lives, now I want to tell you what, if your brother had sold you into slavery, if, if they had, had uh, you know, messed your world up, I, I don't know that when you saw them, if your first thought wouldn't be payback time. Right? God has put them in my hand. I knew this day was coming. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and here they are. And yet what we find about Joseph is, is that Joseph forgives them. And, and, I, and I want to give you four ingredients to true forgiveness out of the book uh, of Genesis. If you want to go to Genesis 45, you can. Uh, but, but let me quickly break this down for you. Uh, verse 1 says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. When you really get ready to forgive, the first thing that you're going to do is that you're going to protect the reputation of the person that you're forgiving. Joseph did not want everybody else. Have you ever had somebody come to you and say, I, I want to ask you forgiveness if I've done anything? You just negated the forgiveness speech. If I've done. You wouldn't be coming if something wasn't messed up in the relationship. And, and a lot of times what we do is, is that we want everybody to know, well, we're forgiving them. No, Joseph said, wait a minute, I am going to protect, I don't want anybody to know that my brothers did this to me. And so he sends everybody else. He says, I'm going to protect their reputation. Look at verse 3 and 4. It says, so Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? <laughs> brothers, brothers. I mean, I'm not Joseph. I mean, I would have milked this. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Understandably. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. The second thing about true forgiveness is that there's no intimidation. Joseph didn't try to intimidate his brothers. He, he did not try uh, to play one-upmanship with them. He, he wasn't coming at that point of their life uh, where, where he was going to be heavy-handed with them. In fact, the Word of God says that he brings them close to him, and he says, listen, I'm, I'm your brother. Have you ever forgiven somebody, but you kind of held it over their head? You, you kind of tried to use it against them? You know, one of the reasons that marriage is getting into such a mess is because we don't truly forgive. You say, how do you know you didn't truly forgive? Because the next time you have a fuss or a fight. I'll keep moving. Look at verse 5 and 6. 
And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for, for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. The third aspect of true forgiveness is, is that you release them. You release the people who have done this. Joseph said, wait a minute. He said, he said, don't be freaked out. Don't be distressed. Don't be messed up. He said, he said, I understand at this point of your life, you didn't know what you were doing. But, but he said that there was a reason for this. And, and verse 7 and 8 brings that. He says, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. The fourth aspect of true forgiveness is that you've got to see the bigger picture. Joseph wasn't locked into the moment of betrayal. He wasn't locked in to the pit. He didn't get locked in the Potiphar's house in prison. He said, wait a minute, God had a bigger reason for my being here. In your life, there are all kinds of things that have happened to you. There are all kinds of situations that have taken place in your life. And I promise you, if you are not careful, all you will do is look at the smallness of the moment. Instead of understanding that God had a purpose for your going through that. You say, well, pastor, I don't understand. Uh, you know, if God really loves me, then I should never have to have a bad experience. It seems like we kind of sell that sometimes when we preach. You'll come to Jesus. Your life will be wonderful. You'll have plenty of money. Everything will be great. Everybody will love you. No, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, beware when all men speak well of you. In other words, there, there are, are situations in your life that you're going to go through some trouble. You're going to go through some heartache. But you've got to come to the place where you are willing to forgive. If you want to have life with purpose and you want that purpose to make a difference in the world, then you've got to come to that place where when you're living with other people that you learn how to live a life of forgiveness. You say, Pastor, you don't know what that person did to me. Some of you come from very tragic circumstances. Some of you lived in homes that you were abused in. Some of you come from divorce situations that were just horrible. And yet, if you're not careful, you will allow that to define who you are. Instead of understanding that even in the midst of the worst of circumstances of life, that God is able to bring out of your ashes a beautiful situation. And that you're going to be able to look back and say, that which you meant for evil, God meant for good. That's where we've got to live, ladies and gentlemen, is in that place, day in and day out, where we say, you know what? I'm going to live a life of forgiveness. I'm not going to allow the situations of life to control me. I am going to forgive. Look in verse 14. He goes on uh, in verse 14, and he says, And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, he's, he's listed there in verse 12 uh, all the things that you need to put on, and then he talks in, in verse 13 there about forgiveness, and he says, Now, over all of this, let love come. 
You know, it's kind of like the Apostle Peter there and, 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 excuse me, Apostle Paul there in 1 Corinthians 13. He's listing gifts in, first, in chapter 12, he lists gifts in chapter 14. Uh, but, but in chapter 13, he says, hey, by the way, let me talk to you a minute. Let me, let me break it down to you. I don't care if you speak with tongues of men and of angels, but if you have not love. He said, I don't care if you give your body to be burned, if you have not love. He said, it doesn't matter to me if you go across the world. If you don't have love, it profits nothing. I, I want to tell you something. In our lives, a lot of times, if we are not careful, we can live life day in and day out, and it can be all about us, and when it becomes all about us, we're in trouble. Now, the Scripture there says, and it's interesting that we see this. We saw it in verse 12, and, and I want to bring it back to your attention in verse 14 here. He says, put on love now now remember in verse 12 uh, last week that we talked about that it said to put these things to clothe yourselves in these things in, in other words i want to tell you something love is usually not just something that percolates out of you okay let me talk about me that'll make you feel better you know, I'm, I'm not just the warm and fuzzy guy. It's just not who I am. It's just not the way I'm wired. I'm, I, I, you know, I'll, I, I just, you know, you know, there are some people who just ooze love. Have you ever been around them? Make me sick. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It was a joke. All right. It's just, it's just not who I am. And, and so I have to pray. It, it, is a, it is a continual prayer. Lord, let me have your love. Prayed it this morning. Lord, let me live today with your love. Why? Because I've got to put love on. Because you know what? There are three ingredients to true love. First of all is you've got to care deeply. If you really love somebody, you care for them deeply. Again, let me do some marriage counseling the way I love to do marriage counseling. To hundreds of people at one time. If you really love someone you will care for them you will not just come and go when it's convenient but you will deeply care for them the second thing that real love has is real love commits unreservedly have you ever noticed that we stand before the minister and 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 we repeat some things anybody listen to what we say lately for better, for worse, really. I mean, most people I run into now, it's for better or better. Because when worse comes up, baby, I'm out of there. For better or worse, for richer. Whoa. I loved you as long as you had some money, but you lost your job. I'm out of here. I'll give you another one. Till death. Do us part. And we need to rewrite that. Pastor, I can't believe you're preaching this. I, you know, are, are you mad at divorced people? No. If I was, I'd be mad at half of you sitting out here. Listen, I live in the same world you do. I understand the reality. But I also understand that when we become believers, the Bible says the old things pass away and behold, all things become new. We need to come to the place where we make a decision to commit unreservedly. 
Now, I know there's some instances in Scripture. I understand all that stuff. But I'm telling you, we've made it way too easy to get out of marriage. Well, glory to God. So love means to commit unreservedly. Thirdly, love means to communicate openly. Have you ever got done discussing? You know, I've, I've said for years, Sherry and I don't fight. We just have intense fellowship. Intense. The first year of our marriage, I think I made Sherry cry every day. You've you got to understand that, that two people coming together the way we did, her family is real reserved, real quiet, real congenial, real nice people. My family, we're just crazy. I mean, the, the first time or two I brought Sherry home, we'd leave and Sherry said, why do y'all holler at each other? I said, we weren't hollering. Are you mad at your mom? No, I'm not. Why do you think I'm mad at my mom? Because you hollered at her. I said, that's just the way we talk. You'll know it when I holler. Don't you first, I do, I literally think the first year, every day I made her cry about something. Then she toughened up. <laughs> but, I, but I found out, you know, in 30 plus years of marriage, that we will get done with our times of intense fellowship. And what she heard and what I said don't match. <laughs> and what she said and what I heard don't match. Now, maybe nobody else deals with that. But what I found is, is that if you really do love somebody, that you are willing to communicate openly. You're, you're willing to take time to do whatever it takes. And, and in this life, if, if life is going to have purpose and life is going to mean something on this earth, we have got to have love in our hearts. And that love means that we've got to be able to communicate with people and we've got to do that in an open manner where that we know what we're doing and where we're going. And so in doing that, we've got to be willing to say, you know what, this is, I know this is what you heard, but this is not what I said. And we've got to be willing to address those issues as we move further. Let me give you the last one this morning. Look in verse 15 as we just continue through this passage. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. Third thing you've got to do is you've got to rule. You've got to allow the peace of God to rule your life. That word rule in, in the Greek there means an umpire. One, one who is there, it's, it means an impartial person who is chosen to enforce the rules. That's what an umpire is. You ever played baseball? Ever known that you made it safe home? And the umpire goes, Out! And you get up in all of your righteousness and in all of your godliness. I was safe. You can holler till the cows come home. He's already made that decision. You're out. In fact, I don't even like the, the whole replay business that they do in a lot of sports now. Because they're, they're overruling the umpire. And yeah, they get it wrong sometimes. But you know what? If you got an umpire, you need to let them ump. 
And, and the Word of God says this. It says, let the Holy Spirit, let, let the presence of God rule your life. Wow. In, in my day in and day out living, I've got to allow the presence of God to rule. Not just when I come to church. Listen, anybody can dress up and look good at church. I mean, there, there are very few times in a church service, maybe offering time, but outside of offering time, where they're going to violate your will. I mean, everything else is pretty smooth. It's pretty easy. But tomorrow, when you go to work, Tomorrow, when that boss walks in, tomorrow, when you go through all this stuff, are you at that moment allowing the peace of God to rule your life? Anybody around here live with a little bit of stress? Could it be that the reasons that we're so stressed out is because we don't allow God's peace to rule. Ever read that scripture where it says that he'll give us peace that passeth all understanding? He'll bring that peace into your life. He, he, will, give, he will give it to you, but you've got to allow it to be in control. You've got to allow it to have dominion in your life. And so what are we going to do? Here, here's, here's the bottom line this morning is this. In your life, in my life, we make choices every day. And those choices determine whether or not we are going to live life with purpose. I think the worst thing that can happen is to get into your latter years and to look back at life and to say, I really didn't ever accomplish anything on this earth. I recently was talking with a guy in Nashville, and he was telling me, he, he runs a consulting business, and he was telling me that his business is helping people find the right place with, for their life as far as a business or a job. He said, Eddie, he said, he said, you would be surprised at how many 40 and 50-year-old people who are very successful. He said, I'm talking about people who are making six figures. He said, they're coming in my office, and he said, they're totally changing their profession because they don't feel as though their life has any purpose. He said, they're walking away from great income and great success because they want to do something that has purpose. Listen, I want to tell you, in your life, you have got to find out what your purpose is. You can use it to knock somebody upside the head. You can use it as a doorstop. You can use it to garden with, or you can take it and you can build something that lasts for years.
It's your choice in finding out what the purpose is. But that purpose is going to be lived out with others. You're not going to do it in a vacuum. And so if I'm going to live it out with others, then I need to allow the presence of God to bring peace into my life so that I can live day in and day out the way God wants me to.